0: Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's bn 3 Saying it So please welcome Mike Lover. Listen, this guy is not only ex-CIA, Special Forces, Survivalist, Outdoor Man, but he is the CEO and owner of Fieldcraft Survival. He is also the podcast host host of Mike Force, which I found out the name about that today on Cleared Hot. So that makes a little more sense now. And um, you also are, I want to say, an author as well. Am I wrong on this?
1: Yeah, well, I'm kind of. I'm writing a book right now uh, for a big uh, publisher. So it'll be out next year.
0: Okay, fantastic. So this is Mike. Welcome, Mike, to the show.
1: (laughs) Pleasure and honor. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries, man. I learned so much about you through so many of your friends because I'm creepy like that, and (laughs) I try to look at everything from a fairly open and honest perspective. And I think that's what you do, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, that's the only way. Yeah,
0: yeah. So can you do me a favor? And like I said, you know, I've heard you say this as well, but this is part of the deal when you when you talk to people of your caliber, you kind of got to regurgitate a little. Just a tiny bit. Can you give me and our listeners a quick, tiny rundown of exactly who you are? Because I feel like I'm going to butcher it.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. I uh, so I grew up in you know a military uh, household. My dad was in the army. He met my mom in Korea, where he was stationed at, and so I grew up with a military mindset from a dad and from a granddad and from a long line of service, and then. Um, I, I already knew from a young age, probably about 10, that I was going to join the military and served, um, really my entire life, as long as I could remember in the army. So I joined when I was 17, did four years in the infantry, which is, uh, combat arms and infantry men is the actual p- position. And then, um, try to do everything I could do school-wise and education-wise. And then right after 9-11, I went to special forces selection, and then spent the remainder of my career in Special Operations. So um, traditionally, uh, people would recognize the Army's branch of Special Operations as the Green Berets, but we do have US Army Rangers, Special Operations Aviation Regiment, the list goes on. So I did that an in, in entire career, had a lot of combat deployments, a lot of epic um, adventures, was, in, was a sniper, was a Joint Terminal Air Controller, Uh, Traveled all around the world and like fulfilled my dream. Um, At the end of that, I decided, hey, I got to transition at some point. And so I got my college degree and uh, my bachelor's degree in Homeland Security, and then had my sights set on the CIA in a full time capacity. You know, I I wanted to be Mike Spann in the the, uh, CIA because he was one of the first uh, casualties of the war, but not a lot was known about the Central Intelligence Agency. I transitioned as a contractor. Uh, loved and enjoyed that position. Did that for about two and a half, three years. And then I decided to step away because I I wasn't fulfilled. To be honest, the reason I stepped away is because there wasn't a war. There wasn't a fight left. If there was a war right now, if we were fighting ISIS, if we were fighting uh, Al Qaeda, if we were fighting anybody, I would be still in the military or still in the CIA, but there was no war going on. And I decided to step away and start my own company called Fieldcraft Survival. I was in Pakistan in a shipping container similar to where you're at. And it was it was built out like a house. And I started the the homework to build my company.
0: That's brilliant, man. I love that you have this... It sounds like this innate drive from an early on you, you never really had to be taught. It seems like that just kind of came from a family lineage and that's a fantastic thing. And it shows, it shows obviously in the, not only longevity of your career, but it also shows in the intensity of your career. If if I'm not mistaken, I mean, you didn't, you're not like, you're not like me. Who's like, I want to be a soldier. You're like, I want (laughs) to do everything and then be non-existent all at the same time while cutting your throat without even knowing I'm there. That's what you wanted to do. And I'm just like, all I can do is like marvel in the you know the the sheer longevity of a career like that because I understand the severity of the events that you've been in too, as much as I can you know understand. And to know that you've been able to come out of them the way you have, and then uh, not only transition into civilian life in a, what seems like a very successful way and, you know, not to like throw shade, but I mean, you are a green beret and how many green beret books are there? Not as many as seals. So, I mean, I feel like you didn't quite start writing your book when you became a ranger unlike other people, but we started and that's okay. And that's fantastic. Are you allowed to say who the publisher is?
1: Uh, yeah, I can. There was, it was released in a press release, so I could say it. It's, okay. a, it's penguin random.
0: I knew it. It was either them or going to be Simon Schuster. I could have guaranteed that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, I know I was actually, after I heard Jack Carr was, was Simon and Schuster, I was like, Ooh, maybe those are the guys, but I'm not writing yeah. fi- fiction. And so, um, I didn't have to do all the hard legwork that fiction would entail. I just had to propose, you know, a basic outline yeah. and they were on board and I'm, I'm super excited about it
0: that's good you sound like me it's like this is my life like it and they're like yep and you're like awesome
1: thank (laughs) god (laughs) you
0: have to do i do what jack Carr does i know i want to have him on because i want to talk to him a little bit about uh the way that writing process went you know i'm not a writer so i'm learning about all that that's a that's a whole other thing he would
1: love to come on your show he would love to
0: oh well you're gonna have to hook me up because he's a hard one to reach my friend you're gonna fucking text him of course you are because you're one of those guys god damn it, (laughs) andy yeah, you told me he was cool, but I didn't know he was this cool. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's, talk, let's talk about a lot of things because I'm not going to lie to you. So there's a, there a couple of questions I have for you right off the bat. and They're going to be fairly sporadic spaced. Number one, you didn't know you could study Homeland Security. What? That's a major? Where did you go to university for that? And like what type of program and what does that normally job afterward look like?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I started my career... Um, at a very young age and knew that I had a transition point. So I was 17 thinking about 20 years down the road. And so I knew to be in federal service, like the FBI, HRT, the CIA in a full-time position, you had to have your bachelor's degree. So oh. I, I nickel and dined my, my degree. It took me actually 15 years to get my degree. Um, but in between combat rotations, like literally in between combat, like I'd go out for the night, everybody would come back um, and go to sleep. Um, and I'd come back and work on college. And so uh, I started my undergraduate degree in criminal justice because I was like, oh, FBI, HRT, CIA, right. that's a thing. But after I got my associates and really almost my core curriculum in undergraduate and criminal justice, I realized that um, crisis response, which at, at the federal level was tethered in Homeland Security and it was uh, available and i was like man this is what i do for a living in counterterrorism. Right. easy transition for me and it became more of a popular thing i started out at troy university in south carolina and then migrated to american military university which is designed for military guys like me for and then got like my bachelor's you. degree in uh, homeland security with an emphasis in crisis response and also a second bachelor's degree in criminal justice so
0: Jesus. So you're like, again, let me hit it off the park. Just being Asian and successful isn't good enough. Let's just go <laughs> harder.
1: You got to go harder. in the paint. You got to commit.
0: You. Oh, speaking of hard in the paint, <clears throat> apparently you and I have a mutual friend named Brian Bishop. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did Andy
0: No, him and I um, talk, and uh, he goes, who are you having on the show this week? And I'm like, Mike Glover. <laughs> and he's like, fuck <laughs> you, tell the guy to answer his DMs. And I was like, I will, but he's a big deal, Bishop, and you're not. So, and he didn't like that. So it's fine. It's perfectly fine. He watched yeah. me whimper like a little bitch during an ayahuasca. So it's fine. We have that That's relationship. Awesome. That's
1: a good thing. Yeah.
0: Well, it is. It's a definitely something. Mm. Um, okay. So when you, when you talk about your Education and things like that. And you're like, listen, I knew when I was 17 I was gonna have an entry and you know, exit out of the military and what it was gonna look like. Do you think that was because you wanted to go into the military so young that you were, I don't say bred into this, but you kind of understood the the succession and how that works?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think at a young age, if you're taught to create a vision or an objective or a goal and you start thinking about that. And look, I'm an only child. So maybe part of it is that I had a very good, and I still do imagination. I have, I have the ability to take an idea of something that I want or desire, and then backwards plan off of that. As Mm -hmm. a kid, I didn't understand the process, meaning I didn't understand the structure that was in line. So I think I had the idea. And then when I got in the military, they gave me the technical ability to make that idea reality. So I, you know, I took, the, I'm a big planner, right? So I take military decision-making mm-hmm. processes, uh, five paragraph operations orders from Rangers and SF. And then I just plug that in, like I did my business plan. And now I can strategically, you know, I can create a, a, like if you told me, hey, here's the goal, how do we get there? My brain, because right. it's, uh, it's constructed that way, can develop the way to navigate.
0: Right. And that's why you have like field craft now. I mean, cause yes. like, I know I'm jumping all over, but I think it, I think it's important because, uh, you know, people listen to this in chunks and, 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 you know, I think w- one thing that I really find fascinating about your transition period and getting out of the military is the, the sheer success that it has been because you and I both know most people who get out, it's a very, it's a fickle, <laughs> it can be an issue. And especially if you've been in that long, Like there's this idea that this is this, you are one person. This is who you are now. This is how you function. Like Andy said, I'm not, I'm not a Navy SEAL. I was a Navy SEAL. I am now a gay porn star, but that's a different thing. So, you know, side hustle, you've got to have a side hustle. And so when you decided that you were going to get out and you decided this is what you want to look at. When you got out, was this something you wanted to do? Did you want to do fieldsman? Did you want to do some type of way to educate civilian population? Because personally, looking at you, I wouldn't think you would want to deal with the civilian population afterward just because it's such a drastic contrast.
1: Yeah, very good question. I, I Look, I, I started and I was like, I want to be a sniper. My only objective was sniper because I appreciated the craft of being a sniper. Like, I, I love right. being a sniper because- People think like being a sniper is shooting a long gun. That's one, one hundredth of your overall job.
0: Right. Yep. Yes. You know, we,
1: we snipers and I can say this cause I am a sniper, but, or I was a sniper. <laughs> we used to make fun of all the assaulters because they're like the Mongo smash guys. And we're like yeah. reading novels, you know, in between yeah. breaks.
0: Smash.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we are very technical, um, very uh, intelligent. And, and for the most part, we hone this craft. So, in, in sniper operations, the craft you have to hone to be the best is field craft because it's the application of going outside, doing stalks on the enemy, concealment and cover, all these cool things. And then when I got out, I realized I don't have the transition to create another craft because there's nothing that I'm interested in. So I could have been a tactical instructor. I could teach pistol, carbine, do all that stuff. But that—that's a dime a dozen for my background for, 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 right. for teaching civilians. So there was this whole other thing called survival. Most people think survival was being naked and afraid in the woods. They think it's like this thing where you rub, <laughs> and you know you 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 Take put a lighter to a, a lint dryer uh, fuzz. Yeah, it, it, but it's not that. That that's primitive survival. That's like the worst case scenario. This modern survival genre is so interesting to me. Because it's the culture that I came from. Like uh, the question that I asked was: If special operators can go out every night and intentionally put themselves in the worst case scenario and come out on top, why? Mm-hmm. And it's and people think, oh, because the guys are elite. I, I assure you, me and Andy are not elite. I mean, we're trained. Um, we're we're funny. We're we're handsome, but we're not we're not elite. <laughs> We we belong to an elite culture, which is a machine that spit us out when it was all said and done. So he said
0: the we, same thing. Yeah. Not to interrupt, he said the same thing because I said, Are you? I said, You guys are all elite. You guys are all top tier. You guys are all this. And I said, In the NCOs, there's lots of shit pumps. And he goes, Hold on, what the fuck is shit pumps? And I was like, You don't know what a shit pump is? And he's like, No. And I was like, Pretty much anybody that sucks at their job in the military and that's going to get you killed. And he's like, adding that to my vocabulary because he's like we're not all elite we're not all these things some of us are really good at our job some of us really fucking suck at their job and then it spits this out these people out no matter what if you can graduate and you can be smart enough and you're deployable
1: yes I like that he said that oh yeah okay we're on the same wavelength
0: yeah listen, we were talking very, you know, I'm not trying to make this about him, but it, you know, we have this conversation and I just said, he goes, what's it, you know, I I said, I worked with dudes like you very rarely, but I have, and I know the difference of people like you. And then I know the people I've actually like in the trenches with, it scares the life out of me because I'm going to get shot in the back. Like you know it. And he said, you know, we're not all elite. And so when you say careful, when you group us in all as one, Mm. And I was like, fair, I, I, I can respect that. He goes, because not all of us are, we're just, we're, we're not. And that's the yes, reality.
1: True. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, so when I, you know, look, what's missing in society right now, and it's probably been missing for a long time, is the identity of um, positive tribalism, right? Like right now, tribalism is a bad thing, supposedly, right? It's a negative connotation. Yeah. But it used to be cool because you used to have your groups and your segments and and now that's being canceled because it seems like it's racist or you're you're a segregatist or whatever whatever the new verb is. So you're Asian. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can't I would I would naturally gravitate towards my Asian brothers. That's that's what I do. (laughs) People do that to me. I, I, like we just start migrating together and doing math. It's and, like
0: magnets and doing math and shit. It happens, yeah, brother. question
1: laundry, man. I'm so good. Look at this shirt. How pressed this thing is. Bro, I'm time. so
0: proud of you right now. I'm so proud of you. Your skills are so legit right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm trying.
0: Fantastic. I'm
1: trying. I could have started a laundry business, but it just wasn't in, in me. The, the, the margins Yeah, the margins are. I
0: feel you. So you're like yeah. civilian population, they need to learn how to be accountable on some level, but they also need to learn how to handle things safely and, and come up to a situation and, and not have this freeze in you know, fight or flight moment. And I've, I've seen you go and do these groups and I've seen these, I, this is my favorite when I see like straight up mom looking people and they're like, I just trained with Mike Glover. Yep. And I'm like, I yes, <laughs> because there's so much accountability and ownership in your in your life and your family's life, and it's it's so nice to see. And so I just want to acknowledge that because I think it's important. I don't know if you see everything that comes out, but these people that you involve yourself with, there's a there's a a reason for it, right? Yeah, they're I, coming you for a reason
1: well, I, lo- I like that this genre that's called preparedness is one of the genres one of few genres in the world now. That seems to bring people together and people can get on board with that. So if you're a Mm -hmm. soccer mom from Philly, you're a, you know, you're a a rancher from Montana, you could sit down and go, Hey, I want to be better prepared. Just like you, let's talk, let's communicate. And we have, we have some like-minded interests and I love that.
0: Do you find that these groups that you're dealing with are predominantly, the reason I ask this, because I think I know the answer, but I want my listeners to hear this. Do you think that they're predominantly left or right? Or do you think these are just people that are just trying to keep their family safe?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, the, the original assumption would be that they are coming from the right, right? But mm-hmm. here's, here's what I, from the very onset of this, I said, if I could convince a liberal out of San Francisco to come outside of his bubble and go, hey, this is something I'm interested in then, then, then I, would be, I would be meeting my objective because I don't think, look, disaster is an equal opportunist. It will smash you no matter what. It will destroy mm-hmm. your life and turn your world inside out. So if I, if I come to the table and I'm like, I'm just target marketing or target talking to the right, that's not right for me. I mean, most, it's actually a bad demographic because the right, most often, conservatives are more preparedness-minded anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I want to target market centrists, people who are middle America, who aren't on the fringe of left or right uh, on the edges, the outer edges. You could be conservative and still like I'm conservative, but I, you know, I like weed to go to sleep. I like CBD. So I don't, right. I'm not that kind of, of guy, an extremist.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: I, yeah, I, I think it's right now, after years of doing this, we've gotten our target demographic which is about 80% of the country, which are considered middle America.
0: That's fantastic though. Cause I think that's important for people to realize. Cause I think there's this perception of, of ex-military people, ex-CIA operatives that we, you know, we sit there and we, we shoot guns and we, 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 you know, tote an American flag and I'm Canadian and I still get that shit. So it's, comical. So I, I want people to see it for what it is because preparedness and readiness and and knowing how to protect yourself has nothing to do with what you believe in. It has to do with violence is violence and violence is, is, is horrific if you don't know how to handle yourself in that situation. And there's such a need for what you're doing. I guess my next thing would be, are you ever going to come up to Canada to run these programs?
1: I have actually a lot of people from Canada who follow us. You know, I've worked with the Canadian, you know, your, your JTF and your commandos. Yep. And, and I love Canadians. And, you know, we have, a, we have a lot in common. And there's a common bond between us. I, I like, like, I would love to go there and train. A lot of the complaints that I hear from Canada, obviously, you know, and Jordan Peterson talks about this often, is how these policy, these politicized issues become policy. And completely destroyed the fabric of what makes Canada great, just like what makes America great, which is this idea of having the ability and freedoms to live your best life without the suppression of government overreaching into your life. And so they're on board with self-reliance and cutting the umbilical cord from institutions, just like Americans, and I I would love it.
0: That would be great. I think, and and you touch on a good point. Like Jordan Peterson has been, he's another guy I'd like to chat with about more of the psychedelics and trauma section. But in 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 that idea, because I was wondering, you know, I'm asking this question. I'm like, I don't even know if he would want to come up here and teach us because we have number one, we're not allowed to shoot anything fucking cool anymore. Number two, to get a gun license and actually have a weaponry of those lights, it's it's a whole other ball game. The overreach is just is astronomical and how quickly they took the rights to have a, you know, an AR or or a C7 or anything like that. They did it overnight without a vote. They, it, they're banned without question, without discussion. And that just doesn't fly in the States. And so I'm curious about your, your viewpoint on that, just, you know, being where you are from and and seeing all the places you've deployed, because you've seen, you've seen true violence. And I think that the U S has a better handle on how to approach preparedness and readiness. And I want to keep on this topic because I think there is such a lack of it. When you look at the, where I live, no one has a clue on how to handle themselves at all in any situation. And it's very obvious. You can see how we're handling COVID. It's pathetic. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this soft mindset do you have plans to expand outward with this program and these types of programs from a not just readiness standpoint but a safety aspect from a uh, burglary standpoint from a intrusion standpoint without weaponry with only say knives and only is there other things that are away from the gun subset that you do
1: yeah so um statistically the likelihood of you getting in a gunfight is like getting hit with lightning. It's very, it's very, um, not much a thing. So one- last
0: you live in Surrey.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, L- like there's places that you could, I mean, there's places in the United States, like Chicago, like the neighborhood of Austin that has more murders in the same time period as the global war on terror in Iraq, um, and more homicides and people killed than warfare. But it's, look, it's a lot of this thing a lot of these things called preparedness don't have anything to do with guns. I mean, let me give you an example. Like mm-hmm. we we talk about situational awareness and self-awareness. So one of the one of the proxy benefits of freedom is the fact that we become more complacent as a society. So if you're free and you you live in a sovereign nation that has good governance, good laws, and good security, you feel like you're safe. So you let your guard down. And so the things that you normally do in a semi-permissive environment where things are safe, but they often go wrong or bad, you wouldn't do. So we don't think about carrying guns. We don't think about carrying first aid kits. We don't even think about situational awareness. We're driving down the road and spend half the time in our commute on our phone, staring at it. And we go, oh, how did we get here? Right? So we're not paying attention. We're not conscious to our world. So the first engagement and talk that I would have with Canadians, just like I would have in a lot of places where their their freedoms have been suppressed or oppressed, I would say, look, it starts with yourself. It starts with situational awareness. Are you paying attention to the world around you? And if something goes wrong, do you have a plan? Most often, uh, in the absence of a plan, which is like the absence of a tactic, we make gross assumptions, we formulate opinions, and we do weird shit. Like when you're in a fight-or-flight state, fight-flight-or-free state, and you're operating primarily with this neuroepinephrine, all this adrenaline pumping through your body, cortisol, the stress hormone, you are not operating very cognitively. If you don't have a tactic to transition from that flinch response into a more cognitive response, you are just going to lay in the fetal and suck on your thumb if you're lucky. You, You might do something like... A second floor building's on fire, you run to the third floor and you jump off and land on your head, right? So Mm -hmm. the the idea is preparedness is like that and it has little to do with specific scenarios and technical expertise of drawing a pistol and defending your life. Like I would say uh, most often, because it's it's relatable to Canada, like car accidents, 30 to 40,000 people in America die from vehicle accidents. That's a lot of, it's like a hundred people a day die from vehicle accidents. Uh, In the last couple weeks, I've had seven people in my community die, like literally burning to the ground in vehicle accidents because of people's lack of paying attention. And so the numbers do this, like it just steadily increases, less attention, more casualties. So another thing that you, that you mentioned about, you know, going to these war zones, let me, let me mention this about my experience. I was asked once why would you teach civilians tactics like what like you learned all these classified tactics why would you teach them tactics and i said okay you're asking me and you're an american let me create some context for you why would a green beret go to a foreign country that lacks sovereignty that lacks security and train not not just People that are trained, not just law enforcement, not just border patrol, not just military, but civilians that are assessed and recruited out of villages who don't even have Mm -hmm. an education, not not just they lack literacy, they haven't never been educated in anything in their life besides technical skills. Why would I go there and train them? Why would I give them guns? Why, Why would I give them ammo? Why would I give them training and then make them fight for their own country? Well, the simple answer is. It's because I'm empowering them. So right. the Second Amendment, <clears throat> for all the people who think the Second Amendment, it was about sports shooting or hunting as a right, it had nothing to do with that. And it still doesn't. Because what it has to do with is a balance of power. If you have an armed citizen or an armed society, the government that's overstepping always, by the way, it's always doing that, right? That's just, the, mm-hmm. that's just how power. Pa- huh? Yeah, it's, it's constant. That's what this idea of, of checks and balances derive from. We have to constantly check ourselves internally. I run a small business with 40 people, and we're constantly doing that. So when you take a government that's bloated, fat, and happy and out of control, what's the balance of powers so we don't become a, a next Afghanistan or a next uh, Libya or a next Niger Africa? Well, it's you go, hey, if the citizens of this country are armed, the government has no chance at waging a war against its people. So that's a balance of powers. Sporting, hunting, that's all extra shit. So when a government goes, we're going to cut all of your rights and you can't have any guns, how much control do they really have? They have absolute control. And that scares Mm -hmm. the shit out of me. So when I teach preparedness for countries like yours, I think, man, what's the best tactic here? Well, it's cutting all dependency on the institution and the government and to become more self-reliant so you don't have to deal with them at all. I mean, to me, I think that's how great countries manifest themselves in capitalism to be thriving economies and and prosperous. But I also think that the opposite of that is what's happening now, complete dependence, where you can't get off the teat of the government. And if you do, you feel like you're going to die. That's a scary right. place to be for society.
0: Not just for society. Let's look at this in a bigger picture. Let's look at this from, say, our people's side. And I say our people because and I don't mean Asian because I'm white, but I'm mm. talking about military. Let's look at it from that stance. You get all of these people that want to leave the military or are injured in the military or are not given the proper tools to handle the situation. They're put on drugs, which huh? you ever get to listen to that episode. I suggest you listen to it but you get put on drugs, you get stuck in this mud and then they go, well, you're dependent on us now. And then in order for us to give you what you need, Every single year, you need to prove that either if you've lost a limb, it hasn't grown back or that you are still struggling or that you're still a stick in the mud because they built you up to be on the dependency of the government and Veterans Affairs and how that system works. And you're seeing that after COVID. You're seeing that with individuals who were given the CERB, which is, you know, people are given money to stay home because it's safer. Nobody wants to come back to work. Nobody wants to work that hard. Hey, the government, give me money. Sweet. And then they'll tax you 56% later, but not the people that are actually getting the money. They're gonna tax the people who have paid the money into the taxpayers to give the dependency. And then they're gonna tax you again. And then these people are just gonna stay on the dependency program because they think it's easier and it's safer to do because the government would never ever harm them. They would never ever do anything or take anything away from you. That would be, you know, make you not feel good. They have your best at heart. Don't you know that? Like when you take weapons away, you're taking the the ability to fight back. And I'm not saying from a violent standpoint, but. It's the idea of of, of freedom. It's the idea that we can say things and not be sued. But we can't. Canada doesn't have the freedom of speech. We can't. I cannot tell you the amount of Canadians I know that live in the United States because they're either comedians or they do YouTube or they do whatever, but they can be sued and put in prison in my country for saying something to someone that they deemed a joke. And so there's this idea of dependency and the way that we allow people to control our life and how it functions. So I always enjoy perspectives like yours because the way you come at it, especially for Canada, I mean, and our listeners right now are probably 80% American up to this point, but for the people we have in Canada that do listen, a lot of them are going to say, well, he promotes guns. It's like, no, you just explained. It's not about guns. It's not about how quick you can shoot a Glock. It's not about how quick you can get to your weapon. It's none of that. It's about the situational awareness that literally every human being I know lacks. And that is a struggle to watch. And so it's nice to see that you're you're working on those things. And I think you would be more welcomed in Canada if people, I'm sure you're very welcome, but I think there would be this idea because you're not like, I wanna promote gun violence or gun safety. It's like I just want to promote safety and situational awareness in general. It shouldn't be that difficult. It should just be a common sense thing. I'm gonna flip back to a couple things if you're okay with this. Okay. So you decided special forces, green bray, not good enough. Wanna go harder and do more than that. And then you decided at that point, sorry, that's Kenny. He's Arcane Corso in the office. I don't know if you heard that, but he just went apeshit. Someone walked in the building. <laughs> He's a good guard dog. He's a good boy. Um, so what I want to go back to was you decided braid not good enough, need to be better, need to do more. CIA walks in. Can you explain to me? what the CIA really is because the listeners that I have are going to be going, I've seen Homeland. I know what the CIA is. And you're like, no motherfucker, you don't know what the CIA is. Let me educate you.
1: Yeah. So so the intelligence community, which is over 17 organizations, including the NSA, the NRO, the DIA, the list goes on is a intelligence collection organization. It's, it's, it's entire job is to listen to the world and create policy, which typically in, in my expertise in operations, drives our operations priorities. So when, when, I, when I look at it from an operational standpoint, I wanted to be involved because I knew that the, the Central Intelligence Agency has the, the best and the brightest, but also some of the best latitude for a guy like me that's honed his skill sets to be able to play on this world stage and do operational things. That's why I personally wanted to join the central intelligence agency. And it is that I I would tell you, like it's an organization of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my life, super intelligent people. The missing component is the CIA is recruiting the smartest and often the smartest aren't the most, um, aptitude driven your face people
0: Why you say that if you're not okay if you're just listening to this episode yeah you're making a huge mistake you need to go watch his face as he gently and carefully watches his word placement yeah. because he knows their shit he can't say
1: yes i babysat case officers for a living in the Seattle. Ah, that's
0: there it is
1: funny. i mean that's a general way of putting it i but you know i worked with I'd never worked with anybody. Uh, look, this, the, the agency and our role would never allow any of these good people to operate without being um, competent in tactics and competent in situational awareness and all these things that are preparedness centric. Right. So it, 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 I will say the best job I've had, the service is not a job for me. It was a duty. The best job I've ever had was working in the CIA. It was the, it was the best job I've ever had.
0: How many years did you do with just the CIA?
1: Three, just with okay. agency. Three,
0: just with that agency. Okay. And when you went to them, did you pl- deploy with them? Or am I blown yes. out book stuff here?
1: Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I went over the world with them. I was in Yemen, and Pakistan, and Iraq, and Libya. Like I was all over the place with them.
0: So in a three-year time frame, it's. It, I'm trying to. The reason I'm trying to word it that way is because people think that when you deploy as a military, you go for you know, regular military go for six, nine, 12 months, but special ops, they go in and out. And then CIA, they're like, you guys are in and out, or you're in country, you're out of country, you're moving around. So this idea that you did three years with the CIA is like a lifetime Mm. of traveling alone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was a singleton for sure. And when I'm overseas, even when I was back, I was actually in the reserve component of the military as a Sergeant major. So I was a I was in charge as a sergeant major of a special operations unit, and then I was an agency guy. So when I come back, I'd have to put on my sergeant major beret and then go do sergeant major things. And so that, that typically involved the deployment, and then I come back and then deploy with the agency. So my life, let's just say I didn't have any good standing uh, long-term relationships that were developed. I was going to say,
0: we're not married and have children, right? There's no, yes. there's no children.
1: Yeah. I was, my life was not set up to have a family and it's because operationally I was just so damn busy.
0: But I mean, that takes a lot of sacrifice in your life though, too. I mean, I don't know what you wanted as, um, you know, as a human being and what your goals were personally, but I know that takes a toll. And I know most of the, you know, soft guys, I know 95 to 95% divorce rate.
1: I mean, Oh yeah. It's so high. Yeah. it's so you live high. Well, you live in this, What you do is you live in this fake reality, this bubble that is that feels like normal because it has it has a restaurant or a food place. It has an evening hour. It has a social gathering. It has a gym Mm -hmm. and a routine. But that bubble that exists in Pakistan is not your actual life because that is temporary. So a lot of people fall in love with the idea of living that bubble wherever it may be. And temporarily bound to something and not fully committed to something. So they're they're afraid of the commitment long-term because they don't know if they can handle it. And I know a lot of guys who live that way. And, you know, th- that's just not, look, that that was my style, but it's just not my style anymore. I, I want a little bit of uh, permanence, but I still get a- anxious. I'm like, dude, I, I need to go. I need to leave. I need to deploy. It's like, Mike, there is yeah. no more deployments. I'm like, well, I'll make up one. I'll do one.
0: I will find one and go oh, there because I can okay. do those things because I know all the people that run them.
1: I'm going back to Iraq this year. Later this year, I'm going to Iraq.
0: Why? But why for why?
1: I'm doing a documentary on the oh, Iraqi- okay. Just
0: drop, drop that on me. Okay. That's, yep. that's so, you're just doing a documentary. It's fine.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome.
0: Bro, who's doing a documentary with you in Iraq? Is this like, are you bringing like people with you or is this like civilian, like, I wanna film this?
1: Yeah, it's a so it's me and a couple yeah. of my film guys but we're going to talk to the general special operations for Iraq, a couple, you know, operator level guys and then we're going to talk to the Iraqis who fought side by side with us and and people forget when we abandoned them in 2014, they had to fight ISIS on their own on their own. You know, we uh, left. Yeah. You know.
0: It's happening again. Oh, I know. I just
1: saw Last Yesterday at the gym, I saw on the TV, um, 24 or a couple dozen commandos were confronted by the Taliban. They all surrendered because they're like, hey, you have to agree. They lined them up and executed them all. It's like, what did you not? It's like General Miller and every single officer and sergeant major underneath you could have told you at the lowest level that that was going to happen. But we're okay with that? Insane.
0: You think it takes a Sergeant Major? I could have fucking told you this was going to happen. And I left in 2009. Yeah. I said, when this happens, when we leave, the people that are our interpreters, these people that have just given us their house for the night, these people that that hit a radio for us or kind of did the silent point to the bad guy okay. and risk. Ra- their life, they're fucking gonna have their heads cut off and the women are gonna be enslaved and raped and murdered. And I don't care if people find this uncomfortable, guess what? Welcome to fucking reality. You can love who you have in power, but what they just did and how they just did it was the most disgusting, despicable, just disrespectful to humanity's way of handling the pullout of a war. And I saw an article on the CBC, which is one of our national national news And it, it crushed me a lot. I won't even lie to you. It, it hit, it hit me in my newfound feels and uh, I was not, I was not pumped about it. It was about Canadians in the Panjwa district and how we just got rocked there for the extent of Afghanistan, them and the British, they just that Helmand and Panjwa. I mean, we lost a lot of Americans there too, but like in particular, a lot of fighting happened in the Panjwa district. It just did. And that's where I got fucked up. So I saw this article that's just saying you know, they interviewed all these Canadians and every single response of a vet was like, what the fuck did we just do this for? What did we just spend 07 to now doing, sacrificing, walking on IDs, and, and then traumatizing our youth to just now pull out and then find out that Terps can't even get out. A friend of mine is trying to get his interpreter out. The guy's got like cash in hand. They closed the embassy the next day. Him and his wife are being hunted. Wow.
1: Like this
0: is, this is horrific shit that we're seeing and happening and we're, we're just allowing it to, and it's perfectly fine. The war is over. Don't you know, it's fine. There's okay. no more casualties. We don't need to learn about it. Yeah. And then I was listening recently. I want to talk to you about this. Um, the new thing that I'm hearing and I'm only, I only hear what I hear because I'm up here. Um, what is this new and maybe you know about this, maybe you don't, but you're kind of the guy I feel like. What is this new uh threat of american what is it domestic terrorism that's being thrown can someone explain your fucking face again it's your face can you how did you work in the CIA because you almost you crack so quick you crack so fast can you explain to me what the fuck is going on right now
1: yeah so you know here here's take it back maybe six months ago and six months ago pre-election I was a racist, I was a white supremacist, I was a right wing extremist. And so you're Asian. I know, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm Asian yeah. from the waist down. I'm half Asian, at least. Um,
0: Asian. Did I find out that you used to think you were Japanese, but now you found out you're Korean? Was that a, was that a rumor?
1: Well, I was, I thought I was all Korean, like half Korean. I'm half Asian. Okay. And then a piece of Japanese was in me. And I was like, that's what well, that's weird, and my mom is not fond of Japanese because the whole you know raping <laughs> and pillaging of Koreans, and so I was like, I mean, nothing big, yeah, I was like 13, percent. that's unacceptable. And then, as time uh, as time lingered forward, all of a sudden, my all the Japanese is gone, and I was like, well, how the hell did that happen? And it's because they they refined the picture with more people, and it, it. yeah, I'm, I'm glad that worked out though. Um, all right, so. Yeah. So I, you know, I was all of these things because I was standing up on social media and saying, look, I want to prepare civilians. And I started this thing called American Contingency, which the whole entire idea of American Contingency was most citizens in their own community are not neighbors, friends, or communal with anybody in their neighborhood. They look at their neighbor and they're checking the mail and they're like, who the hell is that? It's like your neighbor. That's your neighbor. You know, they're annoyed. Uh, it's like they go into your apartment complex and you scowl at people coming out of their doors and you have a thousand people above you and next to you and you don't know who anybody is. So I right. said, this was the time period that it was accepted that BLM or any movement that turned violent was acceptable. And I come from a place in the military where, um, I operated in the gray, but I still had a moral boundary and compass because I understood law and order. Like law shouldn't be changed. And if you want to change it, do the hard work and legislation to change it.
0: Process. But don't just start
1: breaking laws, burning buildings. I mean, half the uh half the businesses in Atlanta, Georgia are black owned. But BLM was burning them to the ground with Antifa. And it's like, why are you doing that to our own community? I didn't Look, I don't even have a problem with that because personally, do whatever you got to do. If the governor, if the law enforcement aren't willing to do that, that's your mm-hmm. personal communal problem. I think it's a societal problem, but that's on you. The problem I have is one of that migrated into uh, uh, urban and rural areas where law-abiding citizens in their homes were getting attacked. Like people were going into people's driveways, kicking in their doors telling yeah. them to come out because they were like privileged and white and all this stuff and i'm that like the
0: white guy had like the i loved it did you did you see i know i'm worse at interrupting i'm hearing myself but did you see the guy like the white guy standing on his lawn with like a gun like some super rich yeah. guy and then the wife was standing there and she was just like casually standing like this like <laughs> and i was like <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith,
1: that's what that was. It's
0: like the smallest, I know, but it was the cutest little handgun, but she was just like, motherfucker, step. One (laughs) more step. I would love to pop this bitch off. Like, it was hilarious.
1: I love, see, that's the thing. Like, look, what I I ask people all the time, what would you do if your children were inside of your home and a mob of people came up on your front doorstep and saying, we're going to strip you out because you're priv- whatever the reason is, and you felt at risk for your life, well, you're going to defend yourself. Well, I don't want people fending for themselves. I want communities banding together and fending right. for each other. So I started that. A, a, a leftist extremist organization that has a media front did a, did a complete, like 20 page spread on me personally, which I was, I was flattered. So then
0: honored, Mike.
1: I'm so honored because it had like pictures of me and saying looking you know, I was all training, slick
0: and like all yeah, fly. Like
1: a citizen, I was training citizens to get ready for war, and it's like soccer. Like I'm literally, there's a picture of me with like kids and moms, and, <laughs> and they're like they're training these guys to go to war. I'm like, oh my god, we're not yes. jihadists. It's insane. Yes. So USA Today published that. Not, not even understand the context because we almost sued USA Today, but they published Ooh. it and mumped us in with all of these actual pretty extreme groups. And when that happened, we lost our Shopify, which is Canadian based. We lost our Shopify, yeah. we, which all, like we were doing up to that point, like 10K of revenue a day. A day. They completely destroyed our business. They're like, you're they done. Just shut
0: it down without, they and what did our- they say to that? What, what did Shopify no, say to that?
1: No reason. No reason. They said Bullshit. we don't have to provide a reason. I'd so
0: go after got, them publicly. If I well, we over. got, so like, I did
1: publicly for a period of time, but I got lawyers. And we actually had a lot of our friends migrate to a, an American um, commerce site called Big Commerce, right. which I highly recommend because there's no suppression. Yes. We lost our bank account. We lost a, a Facebook, Instagram. They all deleted us because of that wrongfully pointed leftist extremist advertisement, which was a story, fronted as a story. So there's a thing that the left has always been concerned with. The Democratic Party under Bill Clinton. Remember Ruby Ridge, Waco, all of these things. Like, what justification would you have for burning an entire church full of children to the ground because of breaking laws around guns? There is no justification on the planet because children can't spit for themselves. And, and, and th- there's pictures of FBI agents who, who by the way, is the uh, elected attorney general for America well, as an FBI HRT agent standing in front of a field of ashes of children. And, and, and I'm like, what the what the fuck are we doing? And so I'm not an extreme human being, but you want to see Mike Glover and a whole bunch of elite operators come unhinged. And when I mean unhinged, you're about to. Not like pick up guns, because I'm too tactical to pick up guns. I'll I pick don't up, need
0: to pick up a gun.
1: I'll pick up a country full of Americans who aren't going to take that. So when that started happening, I'm like, what is going on here? And I realized in my at a community level, I had to start looking at legislation. I had to start looking at community leaders. I had to make people stand up as community leaders in their own backyard to go, look, look, there's phases to this operation. It's not go to war. It's get involved in politics, get involved in legislation and stand up for our communities, mm-hmm. stand for law and order, get sheriffs to back us, get law enforcement officers to, to stand their ground and go, this is unacceptable. And that's what we right. did. Is it a thing? Yeah, I'm sure it's a thing. Like just like leftist extremists is a thing, but is it is it a pandemic? Is it is it systemic? I, I don't think so. I think it's a fabrication like many things of right-wing and left-wing politicians who have a vested interest in boosting their headlines and popularity so they could stay in power. Uh, That's what it is.
0: I I don't know how you, what year did, when did this happen for you when, when U.S. uh, US, um, today and all of them, when did all this happen?
1: So this was, I mean, it was coming to fruition in November of last year And then right after the election, it all petered out, tracer burnout. It just, it faded away. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, Oh, Mike's a normal, good dude. My Facebook got released. My Instagram got released. And I'm like, interesting, election cycle. What they didn't want is my influence because I had a small segment of influence. They're like, Mike-
0: had influence.
1: Shut them down. Like they did almost everybody that I know in the same boat.
0: How do you feel about that? Because you come from an area- for lack of a better example, of people that make things disappear and make things up here and make things show up in new places. You, you do that. I mean, you how does that feel though? Because you have, you've spent your life protecting our nation. And I say our nation, we're attached to you. You were above the crack house, we know it. We, we're, we're now the crack house. So welcome, we're on the same team. So, you know, we you've spent your life literally putting it on the line for these people and, and other cultures that you have no rhyme or reason needing to even go over and fuck with. You literally did. And then you were attacked by your own people. I'm sorry, but that would have unhinged as like lightly of how that would have affected me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it was disappointing. And look, I understand one big business is typically at the, the biggest corporations and hedge funds and portfolios is tethered to the world. It's not just tethered to right. the U S so there's so many other interests here, right? Um, Shopify, for example, the founder of Shopify is a Russian and, and Sorry, he's, what? he's a Russian <laughs> and he's a
0: fuck. Nobody's yeah. checking into this.
1: Yeah. He's, the, on he's,
0: Shopify?
1: he's a Russian. So if you think about the data and what we're doing, Look, I wait here. Here's Stop something. It.
0: Stop it right now. Don't. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm getting paranoid.
1: So, um, a, a lot of people stand on their favorite brands like Solomon, like Arcteryx, all owned by the Chinese. Arterix is owned by the Chinese.
0: Shut up. They just won a CAFA Canadian Art and Fashion Award this year. Shut your mouth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're, God damn they're, damn it. You know, operationally, they're all over the world, including Canada, but they're owned by the Chinese. And so, when you see these interests and these spider web networks, there look if if a if russia or china says this is going to be what we're going to do if at the tactical level you have a you know a, an american at the tactical level but he's told that this is going to take place and happen and suppress whatever it it, it is what it is so i what i instead of combating that because i'm like let's sue shopify and my lawyer's like you want to spend hundreds of thousands and years tied up in litigation and not like that money
0: do from, do you want to yeah. just like Penguin House to write your checks to your lawyer?
1: Exactly. And I was like, uh, yeah, let's not do that. But let's let's do what good special operations or good military people do. Let's flank and maneuver the enemy. Mm-hmm. Let's circumnavigate obstacles and let's let's set up a new support by fire position and move forward with our ourselves with more security. So. It actually forced me to be more resilient by diversifying. So right. I, that, I, I'm thankful for that, all that bullshit, because one, I was able to control all Delete all the shitheads out of our social media lives. I was able to see who was a partner, who was an affiliate and who was a foe. And then I was able to piggyback my infrastructure on something that's uh, right now and in, in, invincible. That's not going to be fucked. Right. With. So, yeah, I, I'm happy for it.
0: So, what are you? So, what's the plan now for you? Because if you're looking at, you know, you've moved, you've diversified, you've done these things and you've, and you've interchanged them very successfully and, and, and really not going to lie to you. I mean, obviously, we know why they did it to you. We, you had influence over people who could vote the opposite direction of what they wanted them to vote. So, I, I can understand that. But what is it like now? Like, what are you dealing with now? Because you have an Instagram that has 225,000 followers. Instagram is, we know who that's owned by. You, you still have a Facebook, you, you reach, you do your business this way, you reach out to people this way. That's how you and I connected. I mean, what happens if they decide to shut it down again?
1: Yeah, it's, that's a good question. Look, I, I am, look, I, I use the social media platforms as best as I can, because it's, a, it's an advantage for business. But I, I never fell into the idea that I was going to narrowly focus and potentially compromise my business by depending on one subset or source. So okay. let me give you an example. YouTube is actually very good at first amendment rights. They're good at constitutional rights. Yeah. They'll demonetize you because they mm-hmm. don't want advertisers to see that there's ads available with gun type content, but there's a line I've actually, or
0: just jewelry with jewelry, with bullets.
1: Yeah. Anything that's like that, they could demonetize you. But what I've seen mm-hmm. on, on, on YouTube, I have, you know, our, our company YouTube has 350,000 subscribers and still growing. Jeez. My personal has 130,000 subscribers and still growing. And, and yeah, maybe they can suppress us in the algorithm, but there's so much data and so many people on YouTube, it's available. Let's say all that shit goes away. Dude, I, I'm going to Black Raffle Coffee next, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, I'm going to Black Raffle Coffee in Dallas, Texas and doing an in-person seminar for hundreds of people. And this weekend, in in my own shop, I'm going to be able to advertise through our newsletter, through our website. I'm doing a Go Rigs and Coffee, where we sip coffee, we break bread, which is typically donuts, and hang out and talk shit. But we have an educational platform that can go through our store. I Look, I, I am a grassroots kind of guy. If all of that shit went away, I would get off my ass and go to every city and state in America, and, and start talking about preparedness. It's not beyond me. The last hope is this thing called podcast. I've been podcasting for six years. I started the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast, like literally yeah. in my pajamas, like my boxer briefs, talking into my damn cell phone on audio right. voice memos. And yeah. yeah, now we have a top rated podcast in the top 50 on iTunes in, in both job, uh, our, our category in sports, which is Philcraft. Uh, and my Mike Force podcast as well. And it, it's a grind, but we can navigate these things. I, I, will, I will guesstimate and make a prediction that in the next decade, it would probably take that long, all of these major players in the platforms will either get virus hacked and attacked and shut down in a viral war um, of, of hackers versus the system. They will be shut down by the government because they will need to be regulated because they're monopolizing the world, or they will just get shut down and burned to the ground. And that's, that's in the next decade. So everybody who's dependent needs to start diversifying because it's bound to happen.
0: Well, and, and if you're hearing that, you're not hearing that from like some conspiracy theorists. You're hearing this from Mike Clever, who worked for the C-Fucking-IA. So when you hear things like that come from you, it should shake people in their boots, but it should also leave a little hope, I think, because then maybe this idea of this overtaking, overreaching social media type of platforms will finally, I don't want to say fall, but should fall. Because I mean, we're seeing Facebook, was there not a genocide because of Facebook in help me here. I want to say, it was like Myanmar. Where was it?
1: It was Myanmar. Yeah, it was, it was in Myanmar. Myanmar. Was
0: it Myanmar? Yeah. Okay. So sorry for my mispronunciation, but that there was a whole genocide due to Facebook. How yeah. is that not the conversation here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, you know what? It's like COVID, right? Everybody said COVID's going to destroy society. But what it did is it hit the reset button in a lot of people's primal minds to realize maybe it's not so bad working from home. Maybe it's not so bad spending time with family.
0: Maybe cool. it's not so yeah.
1: Maybe maybe it's not so bad spending quality time with my loved ones and and building um, a more self reliant situation. You know, I'm pointing to the window because right. I have goats, I have horses, I have chickens. You
0: have goats. Because,
1: oh yeah yeah they're, they're I don't know if they're I out love here. goats yeah.
0: well when you come back on again i I want goat in my video because I need goats I fucking love goats why are goats why are little goats like they just bring a smile to anyone's face at any point
1: yeah, they're just Tangent. they're the great thing about goats is they don't have anger in them it's it's not an emotion or it's not a primal instinct they're just happy right. fucking people goats goat goats they're hey.
0: they're they're happy people. I agree. They're hilarious. They, I, I I drive by, uh, there's literally like a a little farm I drive by and I drop my son up at preschool and I'm like, there's the goats, buddy. He's like, those are farmer Sherry's goats, mommy. They're not your goats. And I was like, well, I mean, we wave to them every day. They're not yours, mommy. And I was like, Oh, can we get some goats? No, mommy, we, the goats, mommy, they jump on everything. They chew everything. They'll eat the garden. I was like, fine, we won't get goats, but I'm sure they will do that.
1: They they do it to me every day.
0: Yeah. Right. And well, they should, I mean, it would be hilarious. I'd witness that and be, I mean, that's a YouTube video that needs to go viral first off, but that's what I mean is there's this, there's this idea of, of preparing our lives a little bit differently right now. And that's been an, you know, an incredible thing. If anything COVID has brought, it's brought, it's crushed the Canadian economy pathetically. It's literally caused a higher epidemic in suicides and overdose rate in British Columbia in cross Canada. It's disgusting. I have a, I know a seven-year-old that's been suicidal. Like I'm not kidding when I say this has been bad, 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 bad. And it's been like that in the States, but at least you guys have opened it up and you've seen the bigger picture. My yeah. hope is that from this, when people listen to you, and I'm hoping that they end up going over to, you know, the Mike force podcast and the, and the field craft, because I think this is you're doing the, Similar thing that I am trying to do in a different way. I'm not trained like you are. I can't teach the way that you can teach. But there is a platform and an opportunity for these podcasts for people to listen. And this is something they've lacked. It's been CNN or Fox. That's it. It's been GlobalBC or CBC. That's it. There has been no, let's have a conversation with people on a regular basis that are from different sides and let's put our heads together and figure out why this shit has happened in the first place and why our society has allowed it to happen in the first place. So I feel a lot of commonality with you and there's some stuff remind me I want to talk to you about after because you just made me think about some things, but the way that you guys are running your company and how you're functioning, you said you have 40 people. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Okay. So you have 40 people. Are you guys kind of doing this like attack and conquer and go across the country all at one time? Or is this that all of you are at each event and at each specific thing? Like what's, what's this look like the way that your company is, you're, you're made up here.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I break it down into three tiers. We have fieldcraftsurvival.com, which we host training all over the U S in about six states per weekend. So every, every, every every weekend you'll have us in six different states teaching a, a, a myriad of courses, including a combative situation awareness first aid in trauma cpr survival primitive survivor, survival austere survival um outdoor wilderness survival um tactics pistol carbine long gun and the list goes on we even run special operations prep courses for young men and women who want to serve in the military so that wow. happens every weekend there's probably 100 courses listed on my website right now on fieldcraftsurvival.com mostly um, you know, we have a training component, but training only scales when, with people. So more people, more problems, but we also will never compromise the subject matter expert. We want to have the best quality instructors on the planet. So we have products as well. So we do mobility bags, first aid kits, survival kits, um, loadout bags, uh, you know, everything from, you know, beef jerky and the stuff that you s- sits on your shelf that has a 10-year shelf life all the way to you know first aid kits and survival kits. That's a part of the prepared.com is our virtual online, online resource. So oh, okay. because we wanna start progressive learning, like I, I want you to get into this funnel and go, man, I like this idea of it, where's the start point? And it's this, but then I want you to have a curriculum like similar to academic curriculums through learning management systems and LMS that you take these courses online, but I also want you to have an experience. So I'll ship you a tourniquet. You'll do a stop the bleed class wow. online. You'll upload the video. You'll get uh, confirmed by an instructor. You'll get a certificate in the mail. That's what we theprepared.com is. And the last component to this is members.americancontingency.com or just Americancontingency.com. The idea is you're into preparedness, but what else you got? Well, if you're into preparedness and you're part of this alumni that is still craft survivor or we the prepared, you could funnel in and find a group near you. We have hundreds of groups that are all over the country that are preparedness minded, that go out and train together, that break bread together, that do community events and helping their own community together. Community. And I think that's, for me, one of the most impactful uh, parts of my business. But the podcast, the YouTube, all the content we're doing on top of everything else is all tiered into these three, I'll call them action arms of the company.
0: Okay. So what is it like for you now? Um, because you do have all of these incredible things going on. You do have a book that's coming out next year. You do have a pod, you have two podcasts. Sorry if I, I totally didn't even catch on to the other one because I'm an idiot. That's fine. But I, I want to know a couple of things and this is where you get uncomfortable What's it been like transitioning with the mental health aspect of the things that you go through? Because we talk very openly here about a lot of what it's like when you get out, when you're serving, what it can be like, and some of the tools that you've used to improve rather than just keep yourself busy. But what have you actually done? Have you struggled with any of your situational, operational, those types of things?
1: Yeah. And and so there's, there's two there's two stark contrast in, in service, right? There's a, let me just define it this way, because this is how best my brain wraps it. Like some people go to the military and they serve and they they have um, no expectations of service because they're getting their college degree, they're getting the experience. And then when something happens traumatically, there, there's an expectation that was going to happen. They didn't know, there's guys who served ser- served even prior to 9-11 or even in 9 who went, Why am I in Afghanistan in a convoy driving in a truck, transporting goods? I didn't sign up for this. So that that mindset is um, a path that leads to potentially traumatic issues that are going to affect you long term versus my background, Andy Stump's background, even Jocko's background, where intentionally I signed up and I'm like, I'm going to war. And not only am I going to war, I want to go to war. I want to fight. I want to defend my country. I want to defend the men I'm with. And I volunteer for, you know, selection, for free fall school, for all these things, because I want to get more involved. So the expectation there is people are going to die. People are going to get hurt. People are going to be traumatized. So if you said to me, like, hey, Mike, you know, um, how much trauma did you experience in the military? I could probably make the argument that my entire experience was trauma. Jumping out of an airplane at 25,000 feet with a sniper wow. rifle and a 120 pound rucksack strapped to your groin is not. Um, it's not sexy. It's traumatic. So yes. what what would happened to me in my transition and often from my background, it's not that there's an expectation that it, you know somehow we're going to be able to transition. It's the conditional transition that's the most difficult. We have a routine. Right. We have a life we lived. It's the equivalent of taking a. Um, a military working dog who bites terrorist asses for a living who destroys and, and and bites and and detects and then who's been blown up and shot at or maybe even shot and blown up and then put them in your home and say hey get on the couch let's hey bring the kids in here let's pet this dog this is the let's new pet let's see pets. how this goes let's see how this works out so when i came out of the military just like most i had um, this idea with at the time my ex-girlfriend it was like you know this is awesome my boyfriend's this sexy like gunfighter like tactical guy <laughs> but on the surface it's like oh i'm cool i'm hanging out with this guy who's got this cool story and then when i go right. home it's like oh shit this dude's like he's whacked out of his mind right so like no I, yeah no 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 i'm cool everything's cool and um with with uh, my experience with the veteran affairs service um when i said i had a hard time sleeping it wasn't because of nightmares. Like, I, I don't mean to, to say it this way, but I have no problem in killing bad people. No problem at all. I well, did I, it a lot.
0: I, and it well, was awesome. agree with you. I, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's when you have to, when you see your people.
1: That's yes. Thing. Well, even, you know, even that, that affected me, right? I've lost, I have a bracelet probably with 14 you friends that are written on it, that I lost about 14 like actual people that I knew They're their wives, their buddies of mine. And that's impactful too. But the thing that I've realized in that life is what, what else in their lives, it, it, how would they have wanted to go out? And so right. like I take like Ben Bittner, right? Ben, Ben's one of my great, great, great friends who was killed in, in Afghanistan and in, uh, outside of Kandahar. Like Ben Bittner was one of the most in the moment, like in the community respected as one of the bad, baddest ass right. dudes on the planet. How would Ben Bittner wanted to die? Yeah, sure. He, he wanted to see his kid grow up, his boy, his boys. He wanted to see that his life evolve and transition into different things. But if he gave him a choice, you're going to die in a hospice after the fact, or are you going to die in combat where you, where you thrive? Where's it going to be? Yep. And Ben Bittner oh, would have told me, I've had those conversations with him. That he would have wanted to die in war. I actually thought I was going to die in war, but I didn't. And so now I'm like, well, fuck, here we go. Picking up the pieces. VA gave me Trazodone and Ambien because they said that was the solution for sleep. What I've realized after the fact, CBD, CBN, and THC is the solution for me. Indica specifically right. is the solution for me for sleep. So you, you have a whole uh, conditioned lapse that I had to re-navigate. But I was a government contractor for the CIA. I started my own purpose with my own mission, which is field crafting. So for me, it wasn't that difficult because I had that purpose. And, and most right. often, that's not the case for others.
0: And it's about finding that purpose too, right? So it took me six years to find it. But once I found it, it was like, a it was a roadmap now, right? There's a plan in place, things to implement and goals and things to hit. But before you have those things, that's where you kind of see that that lapse happened and the pharmaceutical drugs and all the doctors kind of come in and go take this, take this, take this, take this. And then they wonder why they're dependent on the system. When yeah. you started using, using cannabis, was this, how did you feel about that? Because you don't strike me. I mean, you don't strike me as like the guy that's like, I'll smoke a joint before bed or take oil or edibles or whatever. You just don't seem that way. But that being said, knowing how you have to function on a daily basis have be fully with it and not fogged out of your mind and get out of bed and be able to run a weapon and do those things was that a choice that you chose to switch medications or are you still on those medications what's the deal what are we looking at
1: yeah so i look i i am super conservative and i I don't like drugs i've seen it destroy uh family members and uh, like all kinds of horrible stuff like most often drugs do but when i you know what i didn't realize is i was super uneducated about marijuana specifically and yeah there are there are some uh, adverse effects for um marijuana including um you know psychotic episodes for people who are predisposed to those kind of issues um abuse of the drug which makes you a lazy turd which you know nobody's ever overdosed from marijuana
0: depends on the strain you d- listen I function morning, noon, and night because of this shit. You just got to yeah. get your strains right, brother.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I grew up with a whole bunch of lazy buttholes who were just using. jar oh. weed so you had just, like high just,
0: school kind yeah. of like that. You went around marijuana yeah. in that sense.
1: This is before you know high times and the analysis of strains was even a thing, right? And and people were just right. getting lazed. And I see them being lazy and not wanting to do much except for crushed snacks, which is funny, but. I mean, there's a whole thing behind it. So I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. Well, when I got out of the military in the transitional phase, I started getting all these pharmaceuticals. And, you know, half of pharmaceuticals, by the way, are derived from plant-based whatever, right? There's, there's, right. A, there's a plant origin story there. But half of them are based on synthetic. Um, and and when, you, when you take synthetic and you mix it with alcohol and all these other things that people do, in fact, including myself at one point, uh, it starts to destroy your 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 life. So I was open minded because I had to be. I said like, hey, what else is there? You know, and and I had a buddy at the time who was a a former special operations guy, and he said, hey man, hit this pin, it will make you relax. And I used to get anxious all the time, and I'm like, yeah, like my endocrine system is shot. When you jump out of airplanes and and kill bad guys for a living you can't regulate your own damn hormones you can't right
0: calm yourself you yeah, just you can't. can't
1: it's it, like i i talked to um eddie eddie uh penny about this who's a former damn neck guy and former still team six guy and and he had the same experience where we're on an airplane and we have a panic attack and why would yeah. i have a panic attack on an airplane i jump out of them for a living but i <laughs> had because it yeah. just you know whether it was a smell of fuel or the thought or just my system activating, because it's supposed to be you know, you. primarily activated and prepared, it happens. So I tried CBD first, and then I tried uh, a cu- couple of different strain- strains of um, indica, and it helped mm-hmm. me. It helped me so much. Like I own a company. I own a CBD CBN company called the Wolf 21. Oh, I, yeah. I, oh, we're going to yeah. chat
0: about this after.
1: Yeah. I started the company. Why? Because I, I looked at this, it was, it was powered by a company called slumber and they're a great company. And I went, I love this so much because I take it every night and I don't right. feel the after effects and I could operate on a range and do high risk kind of things. And I'm getting the best sleep of my life without feeling like shit. And so I started doing research on it. I talked to a whole bunch of scientists because I wanted to know the science behind it before I pushed it. Right. And I started my own company.
0: Wow. That's fucking, I'm so happy you, oh, goddamn. damn. I, I have such a hard time when people are like, I would never, I would never try cannabis. Cause I'm like, you don't understand the amount of people's lives it has saved. Game Just changer. Pain management for all of us that have had a bajillion surgeries and are broken oh. and our knees hurt. Like we're 76 years old. Yeah. Like it, you know, you're jumping, like you said, you're jumping out of, you're jumping out with a pack that weighed 20 pounds more than me. Yeah. So, you know, taking that compression on your spine and on your back and your spinal column going radiating right up into your fucking brain, like the, and the way your knees take the hit. It's just, there is, there's so many more solutions to the problems. And I just, I love seeing people that are like you who are leaders in their community, who are leaders in their, in their community. These are people that you're influencing, but you're doing it and you're being smart about it with a positive, healthy alternative. Then just take these pills. You'll feel better because you and I both know they don't work that great for sleep. They just make you foggy and gross the next day. You can't function with a weapon super safely. I found that out when in country, super fun. You can't. (laughs) Oh yeah, buddy. You really need to listen to that Jocko episode, bro. (laughs) and stuff. Um, but you, you know, there, there are ways to help our communities and our societies, and there are maybe non-traditional, maybe they're not ideal for most conservative thoughts, but if you're willing to give it a chance and you're willing to look at the bigger picture, we can not only save so many people from themselves, but we can help so many people thrive. And I think that's the big difference. And that's what I really wanted to, you know, why I wanted to bring you on. It's, you know, you're, you're a big deal in your community. And I'm slowly walking into this community as a Canadian female, and I have never had such great conversations before with other soft members than I have when I started this podcast. Mm-hmm. The openness and honesty to the way that you guys talk and the willingness to talk about shit that you would think guys like you are like, mm, fucking, I'm tough, mm-hmm. like leave me alone. I would never do anything like that. <laughs> Nothing's ever wrong with me. It's, it's fine. It, it, it's just. It gives me a lot of hope because I'm really, really fucking fed up of seeing our people kill themselves. And I'm really fucking fed up of people saying that they're, they feel alone because all of us, it's chronic, man. I was telling you before the show, Jocko's came out. I've got more people reaching out for help and saying, thank you. I'm not alone. It's like, how could you ever think? After this many soldiers have deployed and this many, you know, CIOps and, and this many things that you're alone. Yeah. It's because nobody wants to talk
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: so, you know, I'm, 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 I know how hard it is to nail you down. So I'm very grateful for you coming on the show. I'm, I'm stoked for humanity's sake because as long as there's people like you that are doing what you're doing, we are going to be just fucking fine.
1: Oh, that means a lot. Thank you so much. The same with you. I mean, you're, you're creating, especially as a female, like I'll, I'll get a little sexist because, um, give me the look,
0: sexist as i welcome this in my fucking life. Bring it, bro. Yeah.
1: I love it. Well, see, the thing about like, I, a lot of women work for me and women are no matter how many people say they're not innately different, um, than, than males, than men. And the, the thing about your perspective lends a different optic. And that's important in our world today because the same kind of optic that's derived potentially from a male or the, the same origin story, having your story, who's somebody who's been in the military and been there, done that, but also able to curate all of these conversations is so needed right now. And more, I, you know, it's encouraging to women. I know it is. But more of this needs to take place with more women because we need more voices from women to curate their perspective, to lend itself to it because you, you, you often have better perspectives and different perspectives than just the same old, simple, the same. So I, I appreciate you and I'm looking forward to seeing Thanks, your, your journey grow.
0: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, the company's doing its thing right now. and The book comes out hopefully soon. We got some other cool projects cooking. And so we're gonna we're gonna have you back on if if you'll allow us. We would love to talk to you when the book comes out. Um, I'm officially going to be disappointed if I don't get a signed copy in the mail. So already setting you up for failure. We're letting you know, <laughs> I got you. I want You're you on to the
1: know. list. You're on the I'm list. On the
0: list. I said this to Andy, I said, during the show, I said, bro, you're a little bit TBD right now. I'm like, you're almost in the trust tree with the nest, but like, we'll see by the end of this show. And I feel like, sorry, Andy, but Mike has jumped into the nest and there's not a lot of spots left. So you're going to have to get your <laughs> shit together or like, I don't know, we're going to have to figure it out. So do me a favor, give every one of my listeners, every place to find everything about Mike Glover, including his ironing services, whichever oh, yeah. you prefer.
1: That company's not launched yet, but it'll be coming out soon. It's, it's shmediums.com. Okay, Sh- good, mediums, good. Sh-
0: Sh- mediums probably do so well.
1: This is an extra large and they just don't make them for d- big dudes. Is that dude. what it is? It is. Is that what it is? They just don't make an it for extra, big dudes.
0: It's an extra small large that Mike read as an extra large. It's really an extra small when you read the back of the tag. If you turn yeah. around and you see the back of him, it's ripped in the middle. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about. It's actually it. a Don't belly worry.
1: shirt. My belly's exposed from yeah, here. Yeah, the down. crop
0: top. I'm gonna yeah, send you a, a brass top. and unity crop top. It's gonna yeah. be great. But I put you my pants up here.
1: Like That's why. I, think
0: I, about I, it. You need access to your gun, right? So you have got to wear the crop tops
1: constantly. I can oh, get access no, I my would, gun here. Yeah, like it's right here.
0: Your cleavage, to, dude. I am sending you a crop top, and I want a full gun movements in gun. my crop top.
1: Done. So I would right? run that gun this so fast that crop top. Um, so, <laughs> I uh,
0: crop tops, crop tops.
1: <laughs> tactical crop tops. Oh,
0: crop tops. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I'm renaming some product today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I so we, we're we all over the internet, right? We have um, okay. I would the start point is just Phil Craft Survival, so Phil Craft Survival right. on Instagram, Facebook, and the podcast. And then, um, look, we the prepared.com is the online learning we've already hosted um, a, a few free courses to get you interested in it. It will be built out content wise throughout the year before the book launches. And then, um, uh, American or, um, members to get on board with your groups, finding like-minded people. And it's all about preparedness. So my personal Instagram is where I do the most content. It's Mike dot Glover, but you could also find me on, um, YouTube at Mike Glover and I post often. I post videos that are just things that are on my mind or whatever. Whatever you know, I I don't. My media team is partitioned for my companies, but you know, for me, it's just me turning my cell phone in in a selfie mode and filming it. So it's it's pretty informal, but you might find some value in it.
0: I think there's value in a lot of things you say, Mike, and I think plenty of people are going to jump over to you, and you're going to get inundated. So I apologize in advance because I know what's coming your way from my listeners. So I want to say thank you again. Um, We'll talk to you when the book comes out. And I guess that's it, everybody. So go check everything out, Mike Glover, and um, we'll see you all next week.